Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 110, Phoronix, recorded September 1st, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week, we have Mr. Michael Larabelle. Did I say that right, Michael? Oh, yes, you did. Excellent. Uh, who is the grand poobah of phoronix.com. Did I, am I saying the website name right? Oh, uh, yes, you are. Excellent. I'm two for two. Um, and he is going that's, to be... That's a plus for you, Mike. Uh, he is... Uh, if, I, I'm sure most of our audience is familiar with the website, but again, since we are for the, the everyday users and not necessarily the, the heavy-duty tech heads, uh, he is, his is sort of the premier site for Linux hardware uh, reviews and analysis. So uh, there'll be some interesting discussion, I am certain. And of course, with me to have that discussion, as always, are your, your good friends and mine, beginning with the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hey, Chris. Hello, everyone, and how's it in Internet Land today? So far, so good. And to uh, to offset his command line awesomeness, we have the gooey goodness that is the gooey kid, Mister Seth Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hey, Mark. And uh, any over under for how many times I'm going to drop today? I'm at two already. I, I've got my money's on seven. I think seven by the seven. by the time the show's over. All righty. Uh, I'm going to guess ten. 10 all right so the, oh man so right now the spread is at three so <laughs> let's see what happens um okay since michael is uh, uh unaccustomed to our shenanigans uh we're going to uh jump right into the uh um what's that part interview that's it but before we do we, we want to make mention of the fact that this is uh, a holiday weekend here in the u.s labor day uh, the day when we celebrate the fact that we all have jobs or something like that. I've never been quite sure what Labor Day is about. Generally, it's about barbecuing and going to the lake. Uh, and it's the unofficial end of summer. So uh, there you go. What did you guys do? Anything use, useful or interesting? Of course, tomorrow is the actual holiday. Today is Sunday. Uh, the holiday is on a Monday. But, you know, it's it's a three-day weekend that ends summer and and you know you're diving headlong into uh the 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 fall and winter and the next really big break is november uh for thanksgiving so uh, this is generally when people take the opportunity to head out to the lake i myself uh did what i always do anytime i have an opportunity i uh put uh, about 10 pounds of pork shoulder in the smoker and smoked it for 12 hours or so and had some luscious pulled pork barbecue shame on you <laughs> And you didn't share. Yeah. I, I I should I should come down there and slap you. And as I like to do, just just because I'm mentioning it, when the when I fire up the smoker, uh, you know, it seems a shame to put all that smoke and heat to waste. So uh, I like to throw other things in there. Right now, I've got uh, a batch of almonds in there. I'm making my own hickory smoked almonds. A delicious treat, I must say. <laughs> well, personally, I mm. was apple. I was grilling, as you call it, Mark. Um, I use apple wood and some bruquettes to keep the heat, but yeah, um, I spent um, eh, four and a half hours in front of a grill all day. So nice. uh, yeah, I would say I, I cooked up some dead cow, some dead pork. So uh, let's see, what else did I throw in there? Uh, corn. Yeah, a few other things. I just can't remember everything. We've got to get off food. I have not <laughs> ate supper yet. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh, you're making Seth. me hungry. Now you know how I feel every week. Well, Seth, it's only a short uh, 12-hour drive. Come on up, and uh, I'll feed you some barbecue. Yeah, it would be getting back in time for Tuesday that would be hard for me. 
So yeah, yeah it would be difficult. Um, George, interesting. Okay, who who's the 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 George Mills? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce uh, that. From it's French, and I couldn't do the symbol things. George Mioisis, I guess. Today, September the 1st, 1902, he released a film, Voyage dans la Luna, or however you would say that in French. Journey to the Moon. Voyage to the Moon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, It's considered the first sci-fi movie ever made. It's like a uh, 17-minute black and white silent film. So today, 111 years ago, sci-fi was born. Without him, we wouldn't have Iron Man on the big screen. That's true. So I'm eternally... In debt to a French man, which is kind of weird. <laughs> See, not only that, but uh, um, Edison stole his film, and because uh, Edison had a had a budding film um, company at the time, and he took um, George's uh, since I can't say his last name film and and spread it all over the country, playing it in theaters, introducing the new technology and his new company without giving the man any credit for it. So he died right uh, and- without any without any money and without the credit he deserved. Right. So, um, but I, yeah, anyway, so I'm grateful to him and he's getting his credit now. So, and I've seen the movie. It's, it's, it's really very, it's fascinating. There are mermen on the moon and they, they basically get into a giant cannon and the bullet is where they, <laughs> they sit. They sit inside a hollow bullet and, and the man in the moon, uh, if I remember correctly, it's like a guy with, with like whipped cream on his face and that's the moon. <laughs> um, and, and the bullet lands in his eye. Uh, and then they get out, and there's there's yeah there's mermen, and there's like the king of the moon colony. Um, it's it's it is it's fantastic to be sure, and they use great special effects, you know, for the day of you know the stop camera and and you know they stop the camera and people disappear and they still restart the camera and it it looks like things vanished and um, yeah, check it out. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Uh, yeah, I need to watch it. I have not watched it yet, but. Uh, it's kind of on my list after today's the first day I heard about it. So, say I, on the uh, um, Journey to the Moon series, the HBO series that Tom Hanks did, the last episode was uh, about this movie. It was it was after he had just chronicled the real flight to the moon, the Journey to the Moon. He he did this, and so that's where I huh. first heard about it. And then I went and looked up the the movie, and it's it's really good stuff. Anyway, cool. <laughs> Welcome to Digression Central. Um, <laughs> And you know if if the moon isn't your thing, how about uh, pool? Yeah, movies. Yeah, the the color of money, the original, not the remake, but the original. My I sat my wife down last night, and we sat down, and she's never seen it before, and so she sat down and watched it with me, and she goes, you know, that was a really good movie. I could she and normally she doesn't stay awake long enough to finish a movie with me, so the fact that it kept her entertained the entire time. And at the end, she goes, wow, I never expected that ending. So if you've never seen the original Color of Money, take a look at it. And that it one might, is a, it, it's a sequel of sorts, right? To another Newman, Jackie Gleason. I forget the name of it. It's the same character, right? Fast Eddie Felson? Yep. Yes, he's the same character. Yeah. It's yeah, like a sequel that's character. like, was it like 30 years later right. or whatever? It was kind of neat. Something like that, yeah. Uh, that was uh, that but was a good I know movie too. I, I can't remember. Tom the name Cruise of the movie. was uh, a young, young art, a young. Uh, I can't think of the name. A young thes- thespian in this <laughs> one. So, uh, if you're a Tom Cruise fan, take a look at it. You'll be surprised. 
you know, it was his first time playing one of the three characters he plays over and over again in every movie. Uh, so it, at the time, it was kind of a big deal. Yep. <laughs> and then he played that character in Top Gun, and then that character again in Cocktail, and then that character again. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Hustler was the, the name Hustler, of the That's movie. the original. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Enough about that. So, uh, uh, Michael, do you have any um, stories or randomness to add to this chat? Uh, not too much in reference to movies. Okay. See, like like we say, we're the Linux show that isn't about Linux, so we had to get that in there before we brought you on. Uh, so, right. Michael, just tell us a little bit about, uh, let's just start with you. Who Who is Michael? Um, what do you do, and how might people know you? Uh, I founded Phoronix.com back in 2004 after I was experiencing so many uh, Linux hardware issues uh, with back in the day from USB mice to all sorts of peripherals not working, let alone graphics card drivers well, um, slow performance beyond that, and everything else. Uh, so originally I founded Phronix.com to chronicle my experiences with uh, utilizing different computer hardware components, how they performed, um, and then gradually with time, it's been less about does a piece of hardware work with Linux, but now how well does it work under Linux in terms of raw performance, considering there's no longer really any USB peripheral problems for the most part from web cameras to mice now working well, uh, Wi-Fi adapters doing good. Uh, so now it's mostly about performance. And then as through that, I've founded the Phronix test suite, which is a public version of the tools that um, we've basically been formulating over the years in cooperation with tier one hardware vendors. And um, so that's open source right now. And then as part of that, we also have a commercial version for enterprise licensing, including other components like uh, Foromatic and Open Benchmarking. Um, so yeah, mostly what I'm about right now is just about measuring Linux performance, uh, benchmarking, and other Linux hardware related and compatibility matters. So where did the name come from? What is Foronix? Uh, you know, I thought about it one day, and just as with all my other websites, when I'm just trying to think of something unique, where when I search for it in Google right now, that it's not going to re reveal any results, and that I'm not infringing on upon any trademarks and it was uh just a fairly unique name <laughs> so yeah that's that's the new way names are come up with it is it in google has anybody come up with it first um yeah. right and then is the dot com available or for the other tlds right that's funny that's that's where i came up with element opie it's a, a goofy name that <laughs> nobody had and um and i knew i could do what i wanted to with it so, and we're thankful. Well, thank you. So uh, you started, like like all good bloggers on the internet do, you began as a whiner, uh, complaining yeah. about how things didn't work. Um, and so what happened? Did, did, were you the one person on the internet that people actually listened to when you whined? Uh, yeah, and then I had very good relations with a variety of hardware companies so that I continue to receive hardware samples um, so, uh, generally on launch day or even before under NDA. Uh, so then... Like right when the hardware launches, when people are most interested in the enthusiasts, uh, they'll be able to see whether or not the piece of hardware works or to what extent. Excellent. So you you started out chronicling the fact that hardware doesn't work in Linux. I mean, let's be honest. It's something we've talked about on the show often. But that's <laughs> if that was your main job, you kind of don't have a job anymore, right? Because things prim <laughs> primarily work. So you had to pivot from complaining about what doesn't work to comparing how well it works. Is that is that a Correct, good assessment? Yes. And so, uh, right, yeah. So, what would you say? 
where are we now in terms of of uh, performance? You know, compared to Windows and Mac, the two primary uh, systems. You know, how how well do does hardware work in Linux as compared to those other two? Just overall. On the server front, Linux absolutely shines these days. Um, pretty much any server processor, whether it's for ARM or AMD or Intel, um, worked from day one. Very good performance. There's really no issues with like server uh, motherboards. And overall, that's in very great shape. But on the desktop side, I'd say we're probably about 90% there. And why do you think um, there's that discrepancy? Uh, that There's simply more interest from server vendors that... Uh, and those buying large quantities of servers that they demand from the IHVs that they must have Linux support. Um, and then overall, as more people use the Linux desktop, it's improving there, but it's still rather a niche market. So it really all does come down to how many people want it. Exactly, yes. Okay, That's pretty typical for businesses. <laughs> feel free to jump in there. I, I don't mean to monopolize the conversation. And then um, r right now, overall, I'd say the biggest problem is still coming down to graphics drivers. Uh, there's generally hardware support from launch date, even now on the open source side. But you're still lagging behind in OpenGL support. And mo most lately with um, driver bugs, as more and more games come over to Linux, that there's either running, rendering artifacts, stability issues, or other problems. But that's mostly a growing pain with uh, improving linux game selection that as more um games and other applications are stressing the OpenGL drivers they'll improve because there's a much better selection for the driver developers to test from and stress right so do you find so which which ahead. i was gonna dive down that one for a second mark which graphics um, vendors are better so far at performance in linux um well if you're concerned about um, open source drivers, hands down, Intel is the best right now. Uh, Intel has over two dozen full-time employees working on the open source graphics drivers. Um, whereas NVIDIA doesn't officially allocate any resources to their open source driver and AMD just has a handful. And they're catching up in terms of supporting hardware at launch time and, um, taking full advantage of the hardware with power management and, uh, HDMI audio and other features. But if you want a full-featured open-source graphics driver, Intel is really the best choice. But on the uh, closed-source side, uh, NVIDIA is generally preferred. Performance is on power with Linux, as well as the features. Or, um, sorry, in regards to Windows. So what, do you, what is, in your experience, the overall attitude of, of Intel and NVIDIA and those guys to Linux? I mean, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that seven or eight years ago, it was who cares. So is is that changing? What what would you say is the pulse of the industry now with regards to Linux desktop and hardware support? Over the past nine years in my personal dealings with the different companies, it's improved a lot as a whole. Um, the Linux employees there are definitely committed to delivering a top-notch effort. And commonly on forums, you'll hear people think that, oh, Microsoft's sabotaging these driver efforts or so-and-so um, company is trying to make it so these drivers aren't any better or that they're just optimizing it for certain games and whatnot. Um, from all the developers I've dealt with at Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA, they are all fully committed. And um, the real issue is more in like the marketing department and PR. Uh, in my dealing with them, some of them really don't care about anything non-Windows because 
the Linux desktop share is what, 2%, 3% market share maybe. And so simply from a number standpoint, they don't care. But from the other yeah, developer perspective, they're definitely like Linux. Are there any places right now on the desktop or in the consumer world, I should say, where Linux is the better choice that you're going to get better performance? Uh, not really aside from... Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you gave it a good try you did but it's, it's just not uh you recently wrote an article about how windows 8 uh beats linux uh in the intel haswell uh, uh performance and uh seth had sort of a, a conspiracy theory about how maybe if if you changed distros or changed package managers or or held your mouth just right uh maybe things would be different um uh, seth talk about that just a little bit yeah, uh, this is actually why I reached out to Michael because I was just curious if, you know, because we've talked before about how Unity for Ubuntu really doesn't seem to be ready for prime time. Uh, if you had a more stable or mature desktop, if that would affect the results, you know, something like a maybe KDE or, you know, maybe like a GNOME 3 or whatever, would that, would that make a difference, um, rather than, uh, Ubuntu Unity? Um, if you would have asked that a few months ago, yes, that would have been the case, but the current state of Unity uh, 7.1 on Ubuntu 13.10 development packages is their performance is actually on par with, uh, say, XFCE or GNOME Shell. Uh, lately, uh, one of the latest, the slowest desktops I've experienced has been KDE's with K when even when the uh, desktop effects are disabled for full screen windows. Um, the canonical wow. developers have actually done a great job with... Uh, Unity and Comp is for the window manager. Uh, yeah, pretty much all of the performance issues aside from on the Merge display server side have been resolved. Um, just this past week, I ran some more Intel Haswell tests on Ubuntu 13 packages of XFCE, LXD, um, Unity, GNOME Shell, etc. And yeah, Unity was pretty much on par with XFCE and GNOME Shell for being in best position, while uh, KDE and even LXD were behind a little bit. That's got to sting, oh, wow. well, Chris. A little. <laughs> Stop it. And then the, <laughs> the other reasonings for most of my tests in using uh, Unity is in giving the most realistic results. The fact of the matter is most Linux users are using Ubuntu and there most of them are using the defaults. Um, and so I'm trying to make the results as relevant to the widest um, user base as possible. All right. Because right. sure, if you tweak your distribution and spend... 100 hours tweaking it sure you can might be able to get extra 10 frames per second but how many people are actually can go through all those headaches and most of those tweaks are like undocumented right yeah and yeah. Go, go figure on that one an undocumented tweak you know linux undocumented <laughs> no never <laughs> so would you say that uh your best bet right now uh is with um compiled binaries or with open source support for the the major drivers the video cards we'll go with that uh if you care about performance or having the latest OpenGL support or certain hardware features like crossfire multi-gpu rendering or certain like anti-aliasing features and other advanced visuals there's really no choice but using closed source drivers right now so with all the the talk from the linux community about how 
uh, Intel and AMD and NVIDIA don't care. The fact is they're still doing a better job than the open source community is able. Which makes sense. They have access to the actual, uh, you know, in-chip uh, code, but still they're, they're not as, um, um, we're not quite the redheaded stepchild we used to be. Right. And, you know, sometimes I think that, that that raises the ire of the Linux community. They they want to be put upon. It makes them mad when people care about that. I honestly think that. Yeah, well, we're so that. used right, to Mark. being. Yeah, well, you know, one, we're so used to being kind of the pariah in the technology world that we we don't know how to act any other way. But, hey, Michael, um, we got an article that uh, we're bringing up in the news section about NVIDIA just released another driver, but this they're kind of supporting OpenGL 4.4. Have you had a chance to look at that yet? Uh, yeah, yeah, they actually released that driver earlier in the month, uh, shortly after the Kronos group unveiled the specification. Um, uh-huh. Overall, yes, it does implement pretty much OpenGL 4.4 specification and the adjoining GL shading language updates. Um, but from my testing so far, I haven't experienced any other underlying performance improvements or anything sp- special. And besides the fact that most Linux games now don't even support OpenGL 4.0, let alone 4.3 or 4.4. Um, so it's very good that they're staying committed to supporting the latest OpenGL upstream version. And it'll be at least a year before the open source drivers support it. But for end users, there really is no advantage right now to using that driver. Okay. So uh, good do you know. just sit around all day and run benchmarks? How, how do you, what do you do? What, how do you go about making these assessments? Uh, based upon reader interest or um, people on Twitter, the forums, or hardware vendors and the latest hardware samples they send over, it's basically a matter of whatever I find to be interesting. Or if I'm working on certain benchmarks for a commercial customer and um, doing any, uh, custom engineering or consulting that, I find something interesting, then I'll run to public test and share those on Pharonix. Uh So it's really a, a large assortment of different inputs for why I decide to run whatever benchmarks. Hmm. So can you give us a, a hint? What's what's something interesting that you're about to release that you haven't written about yet? Don't tell us the whole thing. Just give us a hint. <laughs> um, there's some very good performance improvements from Intel if you're using the latest uh, kernel patches and Mesa. Uh, those will be landing in the next few months. Uh, the Linux 3.12 kernel is about uh, to be opened, and that will also present some very nice features for graphics drivers, file systems, and other areas. Oh, Excellent. very cool. So what's your background? Cool. What got you started on this? Are you a, are you a gamer? Are you just a hardware enthusiast? How did you get from, from where you were to where you are? Um, I've been a long-time software developer, and I used to be a gamer. I don't really play any games now. I just don't have the time. Um, and so was basically just interested in Linux hardware support because I had the issues and then one thing went to another and then I just became, uh, started going into benchmark development and focusing upon that. And is Pharonix your full-time gig now? Yes, it is. Nice. That's cool. Doing That is very cool. And so what, uh, what is your goal? If, if you had to give me what Pharonix is and, and what Pharonix tries to be in, in, a, in a, you know, three sentences, what's, what's your elevator pitch for it? Uh, to basically be the primary source for delivering all new open source Linux hardware benchmarks and to always have out, uh, benchmarks on all the latest processors and graphics processors in particular. So have you found, um, I know this is a common issue among 
uh, like for example, virus uh, scanners. Have you found that people try to game your benchmarks? Um, actually, no, not really. There's some people that will take advantage of like compiler optimizations or anything else, but with the open nature of the Phronix test suite, it's all open source. All your system logs are captured. So unless they're intentionally modifying their system log, uh, there's really no gaming happening. Like people will try to get better numbers, but with open nature of Linux, you can't really do anything about it. And just like you can change your desktop environment, you can just change your compiler flag. So I just try to make sure that all the different uh, variables are being monitored to report that. And you've mentioned a, a number of metrics as we've been talking. What, what, what to you, if you had to focus on one, is the most important thing? Is it, is it refresh rate? Is it anti-aliasing? What is, what is the thing that makes something look better? Assuming that you have at least 60 frames per second, uh, the overall visual quality is very important. And if using the open source drivers, it's pretty much on par. They now support, as of last year, uh, anti-aliasing. So uh, that's good, but there's not like um, morphological anti-aliasing and uh, some of the other advanced visuals that are in the closed source driver. But uh, overall, for most people, just with a human eye looking at their game, the open source drivers will be good enough. And unless you're hitting a hardware bug, there's fine visuals regardless of the driver. I'd just like to point out that morphological anti-aliasing would be a great name for a punk band. <laughs> yes, I would agree with yes. that one. All right, uh, guys, you ask a question. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm so fascinated by this. I keep asking all the questions. That's fine. No, I got one for it. I got one, though. Um, what's your thoughts on the difference between Murr and XORG? Um, is Murr going to take over like everyone's anticipating it to? Uh, within the Ubuntu world, uh, Canonical appears fully committed to using Mer. Um, at least lately, they added uh, compos composite bypass support and some other changes. So that it should be in okay shape for basic users in Ubuntu 13.10. I still haven't seen any other distributions that will actually adopt using Mer. Um, and if anything, it's competition to Wayland as opposed to x.org. Uh, the mm -hmm. X.org server will eventually be displaced by something in the years to come. So far, the indications are that Wayland still has the edge with GNOME and KDE developers preferring that over Mer, and there really hasn't been any Mer backend work upstream by those different desktop communities or um, by, say, like the SDL or um, other toolkits. Okay. So Wayland's going to be the... You're, you're predicting Wayland's going to be the 800-pound the gorilla then. Yes, for all distributions, not ending in Ubuntu. <laughs> right. <laughs> and why? Give me a reason why Ubuntu. And, you know, I'm asking you to to indecipher the the Sphinx at this point. But why? Why do you think anybody would write their own rather than jumping onto something that's already there and already fairly mature? Canonical has serious problems with uh, not invented here syndrome, and back when they were planning to use Wayland or come up with their own display server or what to use across uh, desktop to mobile front um, form factors. Wayland wasn't in the best shape and there was lots of different branches. Uh, if they would have investigated more into the current state of Wayland, they would have found most of their shortcomings they thought were there, weren't actually there. And um, shortly after Mer was announced, they had that wiki page that demonstrated their shortcomings, shortcomings with Wayland, but they were all actually addressed. Uh, so it's basically a non-invented here problem and the fact that they wanted uh, control of copyright over the code. 
Ah, so it's yeah, a profit that's what I was deal. figuring too. <laughs> so would you say? Uh, I'm I'm just curious when when you're um, working closely with hardware uh, developers, do you find um, that there are software people who who get their feathers ruffled by that? That you know, do you, do you find people um, angry with you for one thing or another? Um, yeah, there's plenty of people that are angry for one reason or another. Simply if it's a matter of not liking that I use the Unity as a desktop environment or Ubuntu. Um, well, I'm, I'm thinking more there, more along the lines or, of, of like the distros. Like, is is there anybody, like, has it, has uh, anybody at Ubuntu, you know, accosted you for, you know, not being pro me or something? I'm just trying to think of the, the sorts of things that might happen and give you an opening to tell a good story, and I'm, I'm failing at it. Um... There are some people that, like, for instance, with even with my negative uh, Murr rants, I'm happy to benchmark it all the time, and I'm happy to objectively cover the Murr um, improvements and uh, all the canonical engineers I deal with frequently, including Mark Shuttleworth and all them, uh, have been happy with my coverage of Murr overall, and that I'm mostly focused on the performance, and you can't really attest those numbers. Yeah, I, I could see that. Uh, well, jumping off of the uh, video card thing a little bit, well, uh, something that's popular on this show, and we get lots of questions about it, and we've done lots of shows about it, are SSDs. Uh, what What's the state of, of SSDs right now in the open source um, support? Overall, from both the hardware and software side, in terms of like uh, file systems supporting the trim command for SSDs, um, it's overall in great shape. I have probably over a dozen maybe two dozen ssds around here and i really have no issues with any of them um pretty much ext4 btrfs are all in good shape the btrfs file system does have special ssd optimizations but i really haven't found too much of a performance benefit out of those optimizations or in its ability to bump btrfs ahead of say ext4 but uh how do they how would you say uh SSD performance ranks on Linux compared to the other two major platforms? Uh, it, it's a bit hard to compare because like, there is an EXT4 file system implementation for uh, OSX, but it's not like mainlined in OSX and everything else. So you're not going to be able to get a very real performance comparison unless you're able to get the same file system across them. Um, but in general, the Linux disk performance is very good. And I'd say uh, it's easily on par with Windows or OS X. So the short answer is buy one. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely love SSDs and don't regret any of them. Have you noticed any failure rates being higher in Linux when it comes to SSDs versus Windows or Mac? Or is it pretty much fair, even across uh, the board? I w- believe it would be fairly similar across the board, especially with Trim now being supported by the, the file systems. I have yet to actually have any SSD fail on me. And I, yeah, I've been using them now for four or five years. Well, your luck's probably better than mine, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's that's sort of a, that's a line that is, is, is popularly said and one that we've said, that uh, because of the way Linux file systems tend to be aggressive about writing they tend to that there would there would be a likelihood that they would wear out ssds faster but you're what i hear you saying is that we've sort of we fixed that we've we've gone beyond that problem 
Right from a real world side, I haven't experienced any increased degradation of SSDs compared to other operating systems. Um, and I run a few OSX systems around and yeah, it's pretty much on par with what I expect. That's good news. Awesome. That's very good news, especially since I'm in the market to buy another one, another SSD here. So. <laughs> and then, um, one of the recent, uh, developments in the kernel that for actually, I believe 3.12 will be promoted to the main tree is, uh, ZRAM from staging, um, which acts as a compressed swap device in RAM. So if you want to reduce the number of writes by the Linux kernel to your SSD, uh, you can actually utilize ZRAM as a good feature for just basically utilizing a little bit of your RAM for a compressed swap device. Cool. I didn't understand anything you just said, but it sounded pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Go Linux. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm more a network guy. When you start digging into the hardware stuff, my eyes tend to glaze over a little bit. So what's your favorite thing to dig in? I mean, what, what really gets you going? Uh, either compiler performance or graphics drivers. Compiler performance. I mean, is, what, I'm trying to imagine waking up in the morning and going, I'm going to run some compiler benchmarks today. Yay! <laughs> it wouldn't be on my well, list. There's always general um, software innovations going on with compilers. Um, with new CPUs, yes, we're getting new instruction set extensions, but at the same time, um, out of the open source compilers, GCC and Clang in particular, they're still um, actually leading in comparison to MSVC and uh, ICC and um, other compilers in terms of like features and coming up with new innovative ways to either reduce binary size, reduce compilation times, and just driving other original innovations. All right, so everything you just said there is geared toward the, the coder, right? And as you said, you're a software developer. That's your first love. Tell me how, as as Joe user, what what do I benefit from with with a better compiler? Um, potentially smaller binary sizes, albeit for most programs, you might shave off 0.1 megabyte if that. Um, but that all adds up, and then um, the performance of the resulting binaries. Um, there's been performance with um or improvements for vectorizers, um, so that more code can be vectorized across multiple CPU cores. So for end users, if you're using a recent compiler release, you're able to get better performance by simply having your um, code rebuilt. So you're saying that if the coders can write it faster, I can run it faster? Uh, in many cases, yes. And it's just not about the original coder writing it well, but the compiler co um, programmers for optimizations they're making to uh, better adapt any code base out there to deliver faster performance if for uh, common code paths. I, I don't know wow. how to respond to that. I, I, yeah, I mean, no, that sounds... I, 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 I'm trying to think of a way to give an analogy for that, but it, it's... I can't. So... It I, sounds, no, this it is what really I sound cool, like though. when my wife is listening to me talk. Now I understand. It's, <laughs> it's, I understand. I, I was, I was, I've mentioned it on this show uh, recently. I was doing some work for a guy doing podcast consulting and his show was uh, uh, all about uh, HVAC heating and air conditioning. And, and I listened to a couple of his shows just, you know, to help him with the overall podcast thing. And, and it was like, I, I understood the words, the, and, and, and of, and a few pronouns here and there. He, 
and she but otherwise i didn't understand anything and that's kind of i'm getting about uh, I'm, I'm getting like every sixth or seventh word you're saying and it's, it's it's almost like you're speaking english it's it's like he's trying to tell me something guys <laughs> well and now we know what everyone thinks when we talk too mark so <laughs> right you know yeah i know how all my friends uh around here uh view when i start speaking now so it's like they're you're talking about computers <laughs> right uh I was listening to a, a Security Now podcast at work, and I didn't. My my batteries had gone dead in my Bluetooth headset, so I just I had it on speaker very low. And after a few minutes, the 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 woman in the cube next to me, who's in her late fifties, leaned over and said, "What language are they speaking?" <laughs> okay, I understand. I really do. So, Michael, do you ever get that feeling when you're talking with anybody else? You know, do, do you ever get that? I think I understand what you're saying, but it's so over my head that I just it rolls over. Yeah. Good. See, we're we're all normal then. It's human. <laughs> yeah, but for him, it's when they're talk when his wife is talking about the latest episode of Sex and the City. At least that's how I feel. You know? When they when they start talking about shoes, Manolo Blahnik or something like that, that's when I go. I, I have no idea. I just listen for my name. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, this has been a great discussion. We promised you we'd keep it around a half an hour, and so we're at that point. So I'm going to ask you the question I always ask anybody interview. Uh, if nobody hears anything else but this next thing you say, what's the one message you want people to, to uh, uh, hear from you when they come away from this podcast? Uh, for those that may be upgrading their PC hardware coming up, um, the latest hardware, especially Intel Haswell processors, are very great with Linux. Um, if you care about closed source drivers, look at NVIDIA graphics. If you're mixed between open and closed source, the Radeon graphics cards are generally good on both drivers. And overall, there's much less headaches to deal with when running Linux on modern hardware. So yeah, if you haven't upgraded your PC in a few years, you hopefully have less headaches ahead of you. Well, that's great. That's, that's an excellent yeah. summary right there. So Michael, thanks a lot for being with us for, uh, uh, talking with three goobers who happen to have a podcast and uh, and not making us feel too stupid. Uh, and uh, we'll be uh, checking out, is there any way that our audience can help you? Is there is there something that we can do to put money in your pocket? Uh, a sponsor link we can click, uh, a poll we can vote in, anything like that? Uh, just when you're browsing Phronix, don't use Adblock. <laughs> okay, that's, that's a fair, fair thing to say. Very simple and straightforward. Right. <laughs> Don't block ads. All right. Well, thank you, Michael. We appreciate you being with us, and uh, uh, we'll uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to you again sometime. Great. You're welcome. Anytime, and have a nice weekend. Dude, that was a that was an awesome interview. I mean, even though I probably only understood about half of what he said, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. He was uh, clearly he's smarter than we are. But then again, that's a pretty low bar. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, you know more Linux than me? Uh-uh. <laughs> See, I was catching most of it, but it was—it was, he started getting down into some of those phrasings, and it was like, oh, what the heck is that? <laughs> getting slapped with a, fa with a fish. I think um, we've been gentler. That's, that's, you know, I like hardware. I mean, I've, I've always been into hardware, but in a, you know, in a different vein, right? It's a... Uh, um, networking hardware and things like that that i'm into but he's 
but he's literally looking at compiler stuff. I mean, not just it does it compile my code, but can it do it with this optimization? And he's just hooking directly into the you know the guts of the 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 PC, and that that fascinates me and frightens me. I'm glad he's out there doing it. I'm glad I don't have to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so wow, it's I a mean, little outside my my realm of happiness. You know, if I were to devote the next 10 or 15, 20 years of my life to that, I could probably get to his level. But yeah, that's just, I don't know. It was awesome. I enjoyed talking with him and uh, he was really cool. So I just going to show you there, there are two key components to, you know, being an expert in whatever you do. One is experience and the other, of course, is education. And what better place to get an education about Linux than with our good friends over at the LinuxAcademy.com where they can take you from uh, being a, a guy who don't know nothing to a Linux administrator in just, uh, well, I'm not going to say a few simple steps, but they have all the tools that you need there to do it. They have... Uh, uh, over 200 uh, videos, uh, courses, uh, video lessons, rather, uh, with uh, associated PDF study guides, downloadable content. Uh, you, it comes with your own uh, lab of computers that run up in Amazon's cloud that you can can destroy and rebuild and work with so that you're not you're not guessing you're actually doing it like our friend michael there you're actually uh doing the thing and and playing with it and in ex- getting experience with it there is no substitute for real world experience but say you don't want to take a whole course maybe you just want to check out one or two little things they have a lesson browser for that you you can scroll through every lesson they've got and say i'll take this lesson i'll take that lesson you can do a la carte learning that way and they've got a, a system that tracks your progress while you do that and and you can see that i, I did this lesson and when I was done with this lesson I did this course and I scored this on it and so you can track your own knowledge like that or you can take advantage of their Linux Academy for Teams thing and you can track somebody else's progress you've got an employee or a student you want to uh, assign them to uh, uh, do certain things to learn certain things to uh, pass uh, certain tests you can do that and track all of that through a nice dashboard on their website and you get all of this for the low low price of 19 bucks a month but maybe you're not sure wait a minute maybe I don't want to shuck out a full 19 bucks that's a little steep. All right, how about a buck? Throw a dollar at Anthony, and he'll give you two weeks of all-you-can-eat buffetness of education. You can do anything. You're totally unrestricted for two full weeks. You can download his entire catalog if you want to in two weeks. You can do whatever you want to do and t- test it out. See if you like it. Give it a try. And if you do, kick in that 18 bucks and you get a whole month. But say you're going to stick around for a while, and I think you will. I think once you get in there and start playing with it, you're going to want to stick around for a while. How about uh, buying two months and getting a third one for free? You can buy a quarter for only $38. 19 times two is 38, in case you're not good at math. So buy two months, get one free. So you buy four quarters at uh, $38 a month. So for less than $200, you have a, a year of high quality education going on and they're not just sitting around they're adding stuff all the time there are new things going on in fact he sent me a, a, a list of things in an email just this week that i don't have in front of me and i'm doing a bad job of telling you what they were but there's new stuff going on take my word for it and next week i'll tell you 
what those things are because I forgot to put them in the show notes. Uh, but every the, the the thing is, he's telling me all the time. He's always sending me updates of, hey, we're you know like we we talked about last time the the new LPIC level one instructor led study class. The uh, there's there's new uh, things. He's adding certifications. He's adding tracks uh, all the time. He's not sitting on his laurels and he's not sitting on your twenty box. He's doing stuff with it. He's taking that money. He's expanding the site. And I really think it won't be long. Till linuxacademy.com is going to be known as the premier place to learn Linux online. Check them out. Tell them we sent you by using the code EverydayLinux in the referral field when you sign up. Having said all of that, oh, go ahead, Seth. No, I was going to say, Mark, you did a great job on the segue into that. <laughs> uh, I, that was awesome. But also, I just wanted to let people know that one of the great things about the way he's organized the site and you can search it let's say you're actually working in Linux and it comes time to do something and you're like, I don't know how to do that. Well, one of the things that makes this website awesome is it's not like, you know, it's not like Linux 101, watch this 487 hour video to learn. It's like, <laughs> no, I just need to know this one thing so you can go and look at this video of just this one thing to refresh your memory or to learn something new. So I really like the way um, that he's broken it up like that, where you can follow it and learn and build on one another, but then you come back to something. It's like, wow, I did that two months ago, and I don't remember exactly how to do it. Well, boom, you can just watch that little thing and get a quick refresher. So it's really, really nicely weighed out or laid out for not just real-world learning, but real-world experience and real-world savior, but when you got to get something done and don't know how to do it. Um yeah, there you go. Um, I'll also say that he does a great job of explaining things down to the point where even if you don't understand what pseudo app get whatever is, he'll explain it enough that you'll understand it and, and kind of grasp a simple concept as that. So yeah, the, the, the work they do over there is wonderful. And I would say definitely anybody, if you want to know anything or everything about Linux, start there. Simple as that. All right, we're going to pause a couple of minutes while I put the listener feedback in the show. We did such a smooth transition out of the interview that I didn't do that. So vamp for me for a minute, guys. Well, if you want to read, if you're like a sci-fi nut like me, like I really like reading sci-fi and like uh, military sci-fi space opera kind of thing, um, you can look up John Ringo. Uh, the legacy of the Alden Aldenia, and you can find them on EPUB or wait, no, what is it? Yeah, EPUBBud.com, and they're available for free there because they've been out for so long. There's you can still buy them, they're like in the mass market paperback, but this is a it's not like a uh, illegally hosted PDFs, these are like legal and it's supported via advertising and you can sign up and get like access to more books but came up really cool and that's how i'm going to be that's how i spent most of yesterday i actually stayed up until uh five o'clock saturday morning finishing a book and then i started another one yesterday evening so that's probably what i'll be doing most of the day tomorrow is actually reading so there you go free advertising from uh for epubbud.com End of Seth's vamp. Go, Chris. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say that, you know, uh, last week I, I jumped up and down and hollered to the hills about how good I thought No Machine was. 
Um, it's still doing all right. I did find I have a small hiccup when I try to remote using No Machine into a, another service. So I, I need to, to dig through the, the firewall configuring a little bit deeper. But, uh, I kind of wish that no, if No Machine people are listening, which I hope they are, set up a NAT transversal system similar to TeamViewer and you will take over market share like crazy. Um, it, the, just, just as an example, I, I am a paid provider of TeamViewer and the performance inside of a local, you know, local to local connection is not too bad. But the performance between, if I were to compare between no machine and team viewer, uh, no machine's better. It's, it's got a better transit. It, it, uh, I don't know if it's just a better compression utility built in, but it's a, a much faster system. So come on, no machine, step it up. Let's, let's see what happens. All righty. So, uh, excellent vamping, guys. Uh, and <laughs> let's move on now to our listener feedback, which I had in the show notes hours and hours and hours ago. And, and uh, of course, I'm always on top of my job. Uh-huh. Um, so, anyway, Rick offers us a tip. He said, hey, guys, regarding last week's show about non-Linux users, actually two weeks ago now, uh, one way I found that helps get non-Linux users more receptive to making the jump to Linux is by letting them use programs commonly used from Linux within their current operating system. LibreOffice is a perfect example. It runs on Windows and Mac. It's free, and using it in any OS they're familiar with makes it easier to adapt to a new OS. GIMP is another great cross-platform tool, as are Blender and NetBeans. Even getting someone to use Firefox or Chrome rather than IE or Safari eases them into the world of the Penguin. So if you're trying to convince someone to move to Linux, you might try to get them hooked on the tools first. That's a good advice, Rick, uh, but... If you're uh, putting GIMP and Blender into that uh, field, you're going to be talking about uh, serious geeks. <laughs> uh, particularly, yeah. I mean, I'm a GIMP guy, right? I have uh, uh, actually taught courses in GIMP and, and at the high school level and taught teachers about it. And it's a great tool, but it is not for the novice by any means. And, um, you know, the, in the Windows world, there's uh, Paint.net, which is is a really good a Photoshop light sort of tool. I'm not aware of, guys, maybe you can tell me, what is a, a more light version cross-platform thing than GIMP that, that we could recommend to people? Mm. Ugh. I don't. That's I mean, you used to could say used to could say Picasa, but since Google's kind of depreciated that, there's really I can't think of any. Yeah, and Picasso is super better. super light. Um, right. Gimp, don't get me wrong. GIMP is awesome. I really like it. But it, if you're a Photoshop user, you can make the transition to GIMP easily. But if you're not, it's it's not for just removing red eye. It's a it's a pro tool. As is Blender. Blender is a pro tool. It is amazing what it can do. But I wouldn't I wouldn't take this to you know my aunt Carol and say. Here, I want to move you to Linux. Get used to using Blender first. Uh, <laughs> that would be bad in so many oh, different I, ways. I can yeah, see well, blood plus, if you if, pulled that one. Yeah, and if somebody's using Safari, they're probably so far gone in the Apple camp that, you know, you wouldn't be able to pry them to Linux, you know, uh, if you dressed up like Steve Jobs. They, they just... Because <laughs> <laughs> there's really no reason to use Safari. Um, if you like good web browsing, 
So, yeah. Anyway, there's my, I had to batch Apple somehow. So, and we were getting along in the show. So, Rick, your idea is sound. Uh, I just think you're a little uh, too far into the geek camp with a couple of your recommendations. Uh, and well, here's right a question now. Okay. Well, just one second. Um, what about having a web-driven photo editor? Would that be something that could be translating over? There, there are certainly a few of them out there, uh, including a, a web version of Photoshop. But I haven't, I haven't seen any that are great. There, there are a lot of them that are good. Picnic was really good. Google bought Picnic and then rolled it into the Google Plus uh, editor. So if you mm-hmm. edit a photo in Google Plus, that's Picnic essentially, and it's good. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's essentially Picasso. It it you know it's red eye reduction, it's crop, it's it's grayscale, and probably what most people are going to do. But the yeah, issue, Avery, I think, was another good one. Aviary, uh, unfortunately, yeah, Aviary rolled up their doors and are no more. They pivoted and do are doing something else. That that made me sad. Um, the the trouble with the web is still the bandwidth issue. So let's say I've got one of those new uh, fancy. Um, uh, Nokia Lumina uh, phones that takes 41 megapixel pictures and I want to edit Oof. that and I'm going to push that up to the web. Uh, you got a couple of days uh, and then just get it, not only once you get it up there, the the editing of it. So it happens on the, on the server, right? And the server's super fast, but then it has to send the pixels back down to you that it changed. And in my yeah. experience with those have been uh, less than, uh, than stellar. Well, I, the reason I asked is because I found one the other day. Um, it's PixLR. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I linked it in our, our chat there in the Hangout. Um, it seems to be fairly quick. Um, I have a funny feeling it's doing some HTML5, so it's local editing. You know what I mean? It, it's not going up to the server and then back down. But um, I loaded up a bunch of, you know, how big is that picture? That picture is huge. It's... Um, because I just popped in a picture from one of my backup servers for my a photograph of my son, you know, when he he was doing his church things, and it was taken with like a, a DSLR super monster photo, you know, it's what five megs in size, it's four thousand pixels across, and it just jumped right in there, and I'm editing it without even sending anything through the stream. But you sent it from one internet-facing machine to another internet-facing machine, right? No, no, no. It, from my okay. local server from your in local, my house. Okay. So, you know, it, I have it mapped as a drive letter or a drive share, and then I just said open that file, and it popped it right open, and it's running Flash. So I'm thinking it's got a lot of native code running on my local machine that's doing all the editing. But it looks hmm. similar to... A lot of the different photo things I've ever used growing, you know, as we, ex- and I've zoom in, zoom out, edit picture, you know, take red eye out. It, it does a great job. So it might be something to, you know, look at if you're looking at, yeah, that's funny. I just give my kid a big old black eye. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, um, I think we all recognize that the web is the OS of the future. You know, I, oh yeah, I, it's it's a it's a sort of an age old, age old quote now uh, in in the internet world, but the network is the computer, and that's really becoming the case. That um, you know, with with things like iPads and um, you know, to a lesser degree, netbooks, but we're we're doing more and more of our actual computing in the cloud. We're moving back to that uh, 
you know, uh, dumb terminal model that we got away from. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think certainly in the future that's going to be the case. But we've got bandwidth issues we got to work out first. You know, yeah. poor Seth is never; it's never going to work for him. <laughs> <laughs> poor Seth. But it'd be something to look at. I know it does have a Google Store logo on it and an Apple Store logo on it, so it must be. Yeah, they they have know, mobile available. Apps. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a mobile app that you could touch as a web browser. So I'm I'm going to dig into it a little more deeply, but like I said, I've only seen it for like 3 days. So but it's kind of a neat little tool. All right. So moving on to our next one, cool. uh Johnny has a message sp- specifically for Chris. For Chris, so Chris, I am now your messenger boy. Uh, he says, "Mark, please tell <laughs> awesome. Chris that I finally got Fedora installed on my system as a virtual box image. It almost drove me crazy." If I can get the hang of it, I'll install it on my hard drive and dual boot. I know he's a Fedora fanboy, and I just have to quit using Mint. I heard about Clem's rant on going Linux after he said he didn't want any support of Israel to commute, contribute money or code to Mint. I deleted the OS. Thoroughly enjoy the podcast, and I'm missing One Meal, One Workout, one of the other podcasts on the network. Has Aaron fallen off the wagon? Is he eating jelly donuts by the dozen and swigging Dr. Pepper? No, he's not. <laughs> Have a nice day, Johnny. Um, I, I'm sure there was very minimal crossover between that show and this show, but Aaron, who used to be a host on this show, did a, 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 a weight loss podcast on the show. And basically, he sort of said everything he had to say, and it was getting to a thing where every week we were coming back and saying what we'd already said. So he just kind of ended that show. He may be back. I doubt it, frankly, uh, because once you say um, eat less and exercise more, it's kind of no, not much left to say. As for Clem and going mm-hmm. Linux and, and Mint, I don't want to really address that. That's sort of old news. It's uh, um, It was sort of a kerfuffle a couple of years ago. It's actually that old. Uh, but, you know, you have to you have to do what your conscience says. And if the guy in charge of a distro has um, uh, ideas and ideologies that you disagree with, then by all means, uh, you know, jump jump ship. And there are lots of options in the Linux world. Yeah, and they're growing every day. So you never know what's going to happen or where his stance, if it changes or not. So, you know, it, you, Mint may be an interesting place, <laughs> for lack of a better discussion. Uh, but, you, you know, the, the whole idea that it might change dramatically can will change dramatically. That's just kind of the nature of Linux in general. So... Uh, it, it's not over until the fat lady sings, and I have a feeling it's going to take a long time for her to start singing. <laughs> all right. And then lastly, Tony has a request for us all. Uh, he says, uh, hey, guys, I love listening to your show and hearing which products and software you recommend. I try writing them down and listen, uh, when listening to your show, but sometimes it's difficult if I'm in the car walking the dog. Would it be possible to include a tab on your website for such recommendations? I know you sometimes include links to various topics for your show notes, but it'd be great to have a central location to look at as if uh, look at if listeners want to hear which product you like for certain uh, for creating images or firewalls or partitioning, etc. Also, I was looking oh. in your store. And I was wondering if you'd uh, be interested in selling T-shirts. I know I would love to buy one. So two things. One, we do sell T-shirts. I don't ever talk about it. Uh, but um, if you go to, uh, I think it's, I don't even know my own look. I think it's elementopi.com slash store. Um, and uh, there are, uh, no, that's not it. Uh, Zazzle.com is the service I use. Um, and we have a store on there. So if you go to Zazzle.com, Z-A-Z-Z-L-E, 
dot com. Uh, or there's a link right there on our website. I'm sure there is somewhere. There um, is. It's up on the top. It's right. like next to the end on yeah, the right side. Yeah, next to the side. Amazon link. So yeah. that takes Zazzle. you to... com slash element op. There you go. So that takes you there. Uh, and there's there's t-shirts there. I have a couple of the t-shirts. There's hats. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff there. Zazzle has recently revamped their website. Um, and I think maybe that's it. I think maybe I'm going to have to go in and 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 do something else uh to make it show up there um but i'm seeing it just fine okay so here's the thing about um the t-shirts and the hats or whatever i make zero money off of that it's not about me making money it's just about offering uh, i want you to be my walking billboard um and their t-shirts are the best i found online which isn't saying much. Uh, they're okay. I've got one that after about 10 or 12 washings, the, the decal started coming off. And, um, you know, and, and it's, just, it's just the way it is when you're buying T-shirts on, online. Uh, so, and they're kind of expensive. It's uh, about 30 bucks, 25 for a T-shirt. That's too much. Uh, but it's expensive to have somebody print things on demand. So I get asked this question pretty often, and I can get shirts for you know, three bucks a piece if I'm willing to buy a thousand of them. So if I put up $3,000 in inventory, um, I can, I can, I can have that and I can sell them to you for $10 a piece and make a killing. You get a cheap shirt. I get seven bucks a shirt. Um, and I would love to do that, but you know, Zazzle.com, the store has been up there for almost two years now. And I think I've sold two shirts and one of them was to me. So it's, there's just not enough, uh, interest there for me to shuck out the money um for cheap shirts so that's where we are on that i would love to see people walking around i'd love to be walking around um you know dragon con which is going on this week in austin uh, excuse me in atlanta and see um somebody there wearing my stuff that'd be that'd be amazing uh but you're all a bunch of tightwads and that's okay i are one myself and I just don't see that happening. But anyway, the store is there. Uh, go to the Element Opie site, click store, and you can browse through there. And we've got hats. We've got even iPad cases. I put that in there because I thought it was ironic. As much as I hate iPad cases, you can get an iPad case with the Element Opie logo on it. That is funny, Mark. I can't believe you did that, honestly. It's hilarious, but I can't believe you did it. <laughs> so that's that's all I have to say about that in the words of Forrest Gump. So having done things almost completely out of order now uh let's jump into some of the news uh we're already uh well over an hour and so i don't want to uh to do all of these because seth being the awesomeness that he is put 47 um uh different links in the news this week so we're gonna pick some of the best ones right after he comes back from crash number four uh, as we're counting uh so uh when he comes back um I'm here back. He is. all right he's back uh so we're going to do seth i want you to highlight five that you think are just awesome and those are the ones we'll do uh oh man what's <laughs> So while he's doing that, I'm going to go out to the top just because it's so Seth. Mego still isn't dead. The zombie OS, the OS that would not die, is back again. There's a a batch hitting of of uh, of uh, Mego based smartphones that are officially coming out in 136 countries. Good lord, I can't believe that this this OS yeah. isn't dead yet. I really am surprised. 
Somebody bring out a steak Double in the tap. holy water. Double tap. <laughs> Migo uh. will never, ever, ever die. It was like the first distro I've reviewed for this show, and Element OP is keeping it alive. We <laughs> will go down in history as the saviors of Migo when it rules the God. world eventually. So Either that or we're going to get drugged out and tarred and feathered <laughs> good lord hey, i can't any, I, i'm honestly surprised i need to go get some holy water and, and i'll be back so <laughs> you know we we titled an episode double tap based on migo saying just kill the thing shoot it in the head <laughs> it won't die oh. it's the zombie os um uh, and and in good news, uh, we've talked about a couple of of entities in the past who have decided software patents are a bad thing. New Zealand now ranks among them. Yeah, they finally uh, they tried to do this a couple of years ago, and then it was like the prime minister or whatever their leading thing is said, no, nah, not so much. But they have finally passed a patents bill that effectively outlaws software patents. It took five years of debate, delays, and intense lobbying from multinational software vendors. So way to go, New Zealand. I've been to your country. I love the way it looks, and you have a lot of sheep, and now you are leading the way in patent patent software mutilation. So go. They're also number one in the world of hobbits. So go go hobbits. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All the more reason to see New Zealand is they are trendsetters. So there you go. Go yeah. New Zealand. Thank you so much for leading the way. Now, only if only we could get other countries beside you in Germany to uh, follow. Yeah, and I just I think that the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, the the real big boys where all the stuff is where all the lawsuits are um, are going to be the last to go. Um, of course, and and it's I, I understand wanting to protect your ideas i get that really i do we have a method for that it's called a copyright um a patent is a whole different thing an idea is not an invention you patent an invention you copyright an idea so that's you know, that's the way i stand it. i just think it's dumb to the point of being unconscionable that we would put a patent that we'd call an idea an invention uh, and I have a great idea for a patent, Mark. This is just, it's a eureka moment. Light has struck my brain. I think we need to patent the idea of no more software patents. Awesome. And then, just, then we can freaking sue New Zealand. Well, no, there that way, go. whenever it happens in America, we, we can claim royalties on that. And every piece of software that isn't patented will then owe us royalties. <laughs> Oh, I had an idea today and I don't, I, it's a multi-billion dollar idea. All right. And, and I'm giving this away to you. I've done this before on the show. I've given you multi-billion dollar ideas. I have a new one for you just cause I want the product. All right. Febreze for kids. If you've got a kid between the ages of six and 14, you know, they stank, right? And, you know, and if you're, you got little Jimmy was out in the, the parking lot at the wedding playing in his rented tuxedo and he smells like a herd of goats wandering across the Serengeti, we need Febreze that you can spray directly on the pits. Febreze <laughs> for kids. It's a billion dollar idea, people. I like that. That's good. <laughs> oh, 
You broke me, Mark. You broke me. <laughs> I want this because my three kids, all three of them, are at that age of just plain old stank, and and I I'm ready. Um, I'm, I'm ready for somebody to, to put me out of my misery. Uh, I need to backtrack a little bit. I skipped over uh, a bit of listener feedback. We had a voicemail sent in. I'm always talking about what? how I want voicemail, and then I forgot to put it in the notes, uh, or I did put it in notes, and then I didn't even do it. So we have here a voicemail from a good friend, the door-to-door geek, and he has this to say. Hello, Mark. Hello, Chris. Hello, Seth. Door to door geek. First off, great show. Great show. Keep it up. Keep it up. Yes, I said everything twice, and I don't know why. But here's the question I had. Chris really liked no machine. I have two questions. One, what about team viewer besides match reversal, if anything else, is keeping you on that tool? But two, the last time I tried to set this up, the Linux install and configuration was a little bit hard. Is it an easy process? And lastly, when I did it on Linux the last time, I had a hard time remoting into the current Linux desktop. It always wanted to start a new session. So if my wife was home on Linux, I couldn't remote in and give her support Easily, whenever I would log into the computer, it would be a brand new session, not displayed on the screen. Um, that was that your experience. I thank you guys very much. Look forward to downloading more and more with every week. Thankfully, Mark is very persistent about Wednesday mornings. Thank you kindly, sir. All right, there you okay. go. So, first thing, yes, is uh, he said he only had two questions and gave three. So, door, um, I appreciate that. Now, anyway, Chris, you can respond to them. <laughs> okay. Um, as far as comparison to TeamViewer, um, yeah, other than that transversal, I would say my little, you know, vetting earlier was fine. Uh, that that pretty much covered most of your questions there about that. Uh, second, the setup process is 110 times cleaner and simpler. Um, it does almost all of it behind the scenes. You don't do anything. Unless you want to change, unless you want to change the port that the server is listening on, then you have to go back to editing a config file. Uh, but as far as connecting to, uh, it's no longer defaulted to new session. It is now defaulted to current session. So it automatically will join if you know the user's username and password. So it, it kind of does like a screen if you're in the terminal. Is that covered all guys? Cool. Did I miss anything? Yeah, that problem that that uh, Dora was talking about. I used I had used to have the same problem with VNC, and it, it's not so much a remote app issue as it is the fact that Linux is built to be a multi-user environment. And when somebody else remotes, yep. it says, "Oh, sure, fine, I can do that. Here's a new desktop." But, but that's not yep. what I wanted. I wanted this desktop. Um. So yeah, you're saying that when I go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Um. From what I can tell, most of the things now are defaulted to same session connections. Um, and that's going both ways to Windows or to Linux. Uh, it, it seems to be pretty much straightforward either way. And you didn't and, have to do any uh, tweaking. You didn't have to click any buttons. It just did it. Well, all I did was follow the prompts of the machine, of the system when, you know, the set up a new connection wizard. 
you just basically click, 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 and you're done. Excellent. You know, set the, the, the preference how you want it, and away it goes. Um, I'm not sure how in-depth it would, because I haven't tried to change it from the default port, because the default port is pretty high up there. It's 4,000. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just a little trickier to, you know, I, I like I said, I haven't exclusively tried changing the port to something else, but so far, it seems to be fine once you do the, the net, the port, the port forwarding on your router, uh, time will tell as I, as I tinker with it more and more. But so far, I'm liking it. If there was net transversal, it would probably beat off TeamViewer as my number one support program. And I'm going to choose to let that innuendo go that you just said there and say that, uh, Firefox phone sold out the pre sales in three days not yes, bad it was it was a small thing you know only about 2000 phones but you know when ubuntu did not make their goal because you know they wanted to pay off the us national debt via kickstarter well wait let's um, let's just let's address that for a second they failed by 2 thirds so yeah, they wanted 30 million huge. and they got they got 11 million they failed big Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's like, hey, we have this really great idea, but we need money to refine. I mean, thirty million was a ridiculous number, and I don't know what they were thinking. But yeah, so yeah, they it's had too this- much to raise by crowdfunding, and it's not enough to actually do anything. So I don't know where that yeah. number right. came from. All right. So anyway, yeah. off of Ubuntu, but yeah, onto Firefox. Yeah. So well, and th- this article kind of compared and contrasted them a little bit, you know. So Firefox has been in beta for a while, and you can download and um, install it on like tablets or other things, and it's pretty. It's there. It's getting there as far as being usable. Um, and so they've done um, their first run of about two thousand phones, so it's pretty small, and they sold them via eBay. Um, and so they've, they've sold out and it's kind of like, it was kind of like a pre-order thing. Um, but yeah, so they sold out and the thing is they're just $80. So they're super cheap and they're like unlocked for any, um, carrier. So, you know, whether you're AT&T or Verizon or whatever, it should work just fine. And hopefully there will be more of them because at that price, you know, you're getting super, and that's not like you don't have to have a contract. That's just like a phone. That's just the phone that then you can get a SIM or whatever for. So 80 bucks. hopefully they will come out with another one soon. But Firefox OS is joining the fight because I don't think there were enough mobile um, OSs. <laughs> right. um, you know, hey. you only had Android, iOS, BlackBerry, Symbian, Windows, um, and maybe a few others. But uh, Hey, I'm following in Seth's footsteps, by the way. Seth is uh, on a personal... Um, quest to get microsoft to send him a surface rt tablet uh i i need a new phone my my htc vivid uh was a refurb when i got it two years ago it's now gotten to the point where it reboots every time i sneeze on it um which you shouldn't sneeze on your phone by the way so i want a new phone i want either a company or an individual to send me a top tier unlocked gsm phone i can use on at&t i don't expect to get it but hey i'm just putting it out there to the universe somebody wants to send me a moto x or a galaxy s4 or a or galaxy nexus or something like that it just hey i'm i will i will send you my email my mailing address 
and uh, we'll happily accept your non-tax deductible gift. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'll get lots of free advertising because we will talk it up and it will be awesome. Um, I will so, yeah, name two know. episodes of the show after you if you send me a free phone. It will be the, the, the Element Opie uh, brought to you by Element Opie and the new Moto X or something like that. Dark See, Surf- in Microsoft, all you have to do is send me a Surface RT and I will say at least one nice thing about you for as long as I have it. Wow. Show. Nice. Wow. I'm impressed. So, you know, our I morals just, can be bought. I, I just want a laptop that works in Linux. Yeah, me too. That's just my, nice? that, that's just my personal preference there. Is that System 86? Come on. System 76. You know you listen. Or 76. You know, I sent System 76 an invitation to be on the show. I didn't ask for, I didn't want any money from them. I just wanted them to be on the show because they're, you know, they're sort of in the business. Never got a response back. Sent them another one. <gasps> nothing. Not a no thanks, just a, just a nothing. So they're not dead to me, but they're dying. You know what else might be dying? According to the numbers, Linux might be dying. Oh. <gasps> No. Yeah. Um, and apparently, the thing is, is that Linux developers are getting older, and there's fewer and fewer new people coming involved or coming to get involved in like the Linux kernel and Linux development. So it's you know, and Linux has only been around for 20 years, and Linus is only 42. But you know, you think about it. So it's like every software generation, which they define as about three months the number of people who jump in and develop it has been shrinking at like a constant rate. So we have fewer and fewer younger developers getting involved in Linux. And so therefore it's uh, the development community is getting older, which is good. That means they're getting better, but there's few younger ones coming in to replace them as they, you know, move on to other projects or die in however many years. So I'm not hoping any of them die, but I'm just saying there we're we're going to need to get people coming up and getting familiar with the code or otherwise there could come a point where linux starts to fall behind because it doesn't have a large enough base uh sustainable developers you know and i would posit it's not in the show uh but i would uh, posit that um um it's not just linux but desktop I would say that Windows and Mac as well, all the, the young kids are going into mobile and, and yeah. web-based stuff. And, you know, if, uh, you know, let me, let me put out an app that does whatever. And it's these unitasking apps have become the face of computing these days instead of, instead of multitasking softwares or even OSs. So while this article was about Linux, I think it's really that the desktop is graying. Well, and that's and we, but we've been saying that for a while now, Mark. I mean, desktop has been growing because of mobile. Right. So I, I think I think it's just a, a eventually thing that's going to happen where we're not buying desktops anymore, which I hope doesn't happen for a long, long time. But it's it's the 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 writings on the wall. Eventually, we're going to go back to dumb terminals and servers again. Uh, you know, and I. <laughs> I don't really know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but I think it's going to be a bad thing because you're not you're, you're subject to connectivity to your stuff. It's like you know, if I have my stuff here, then I have it here and I have it. But if it's on the cloud somewhere, 
you know, then all of a sudden it can be gone tomorrow or you might not be able to get to it when you want it. Um, Yeah, it becomes a question of who owns your data, where is your data, how do you get to your data? All the reasons Mm -hmm. that we moved away from the dumb terminal time-sharing thing in the first place. Um, So it's, yeah, but also at the same time, it's we're moving inexorably that way. It's That's the way it's going to be. Um, we just got to figure out how to get there in a way that fixes those problems. Um, and there are yeah. smart people working on it. Uh, you know, we're going to, we've got to fix the bandwidth issue. We've got to get good bandwidth to everybody before that can work. Um, yeah. And I don't just mean everybody in the U.S. I mean, everybody. It's got to be there and, and we also have to have a good endpoint the display the 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 human interface device is always going to be critical right and and you know there was a while phones got smaller and smaller and smaller now they're getting bigger and bigger because of that human interface and we we, we still haven't figured that out you know we have the bluetooth headphones we have the google glass we have you know seven inch tablets there there there's the they're still trying to find that that thing you know and and i think it's probably going to be a combination of voice and uh and maybe even neural frankly before we can actually get the interface that makes it possible to to do what we want to do because you know if you anybody who's ever tried to type on an iphone or an android phone knows what an exercise and frustration it is we're gonna have to get away from typing in general before we can we can have this this world that we all think is awesome yeah, and voice isn't the answer either because how many times have has that worked perfectly for you guys? Yeah. Um, I've never had a good voice program. They've always been close, but they've never been perfect. Yeah, but we've got to develop a machine that understands natural human language, all languages, um, and can fit in your ear and is connected to um, a terabit stream to an infinite supply of data. Once we get that... Then we'll be in good shape. <laughs> well, I mean, Mark, when that, you put it, it like that, I'm all for throwing out every desktop we own right now. <laughs> I mean, golly, we're so close to being there. Oh, and I don't have a transition to this, so I'm just going to say tour usage has doubled. Yes, uh, you know, everything that's come out over Prism and all that kind of stuff, tour has been exploding off the charts. Um it's doubled and there's like over 1.2 million users are now connecting to the network and there's probably still still only one or two exit points because otherwise you can be busted for whatever comes out <laughs> um, but yeah let me so, let me stop you just cool. a second Seth all right so exploding off the charts 1.2 million all right facebook has a billion active users that's not off anybody's chart unless it's off the bottom so uh, 1.2 yeah. million geeks are using Tor. Let's not get a little, too carried away by marketing. Oh, come on. But it doubled, too. <laughs> See, a couple. Of, how many more doubles until it's at a really big number? Uh, a lot, what, still. Seven or eight. Yes. Um, but it did it in but like still. a quarter. So, you know. Come on, Mark. It's all about marketing and excess. We've got to, we got to pump it up, make it, make it more desirable. Sorry, I, I know how much you love numbers, yeah. and I couldn't come up with a good numbers <laughs> thing. Uh, had I thought about it, this would have gone great in the number section. Um, yes. But yeah, that would have been great. So there are roughly 300 million connected users in the U.S., and 1.2 million of them are using Tor. 
So it's still uh, a subset of a subset of a subset. But the fact that it that there are more people who are scared to go online without it is telling. Yeah, um, right. Know, it's and again, like we've talked about before, with this whole Snowden thing, the NSA. We all knew this stuff was happening. We just had never had anybody confirm to us that it was happening. <laughs> and, right. I had the same discussion with somebody not too like yesterday, like was it Thursday? Um, that this was brought up the whole prism thing, and I go, you know, the sad thing is, is us computer guys have been saying this is happening for what five years, ten years, but no one's listened, and now. Right. It's all on the. It's now out in the open, and everyone's freaking out about it. It's just funny, I think. You know, there may come a day when I'm going to have to admit that Stallman was right. It hasn't gotten there yet, but oh my God, know, Mark, are you feeling okay? <laughs> really? You'll probably cancel the show before you do that, Mark. What are you talking about? Uh, we'll become everyday GNU slash Linux. Uh, speaking <laughs> of GNU slash Linux, Linux Con is right around the corner. If you happen to be in the area where it's going on, go and check it out for us. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, September the 16th through the 18th. So just a couple of weeks from now, LinuxCon North America 2013. I thought since we were a Linux show, um, even though we're not really a Linux show, it would still be kind of cool to mention this. Um I'm not going to be able to attend it because I'm saving my uh, my vacation time up for something else later. But, you know, if you want to meet the movers and shakers in the Linux community and hobnob with the big boys, uh, come on down to New Orleans, Louisiana, and see what it happens when geeks go wild. And that week, I will be traveling, but not to LinuxCon. I'll be taking my my family to the Magic Kingdom. I will be in Central Florida sweating and paying lots of money for the privilege of doing so. Go for you. Yeah. Yeah, I see how it is. Take, take your family somewhere instead of doing a Linux thing. Nice, Mark. Nice. Um, <laughs> I would go to Disney over LinuxCon pretty much any day of the week. Yeah, well, most of us I've would. Got a, yeah, and if if the Element OP faithful really want like live reports from LinuxCon, all you have to do is come up with the money for me to go, and I will use my vacation time for this. So you know, if if you get me a hotel and pay for my registration, um, I'll go. But so there you go. And that's probably not, not going to happen. It would be what six, yeah. seven hundred bucks probably to make all that happen. Yeah, yeah somewhere on there. Like yeah. So if every hey, listener and to this show get a, a press pass for less than that too, so. If every listener contributed to, to who listened to this show contributed twenty cents, we'd have more than enough money for that to happen. Just something to think about. Yeah. Pseudo <laughs> chip tip jar. Pseudo tip jar. There you go. <laughs> and you can leave a comment and put the comment Seth's trip to LinuxCon. And now, okay. by you the know, way, or go before we go, go on, Seth. Uh, kudos to you, to Seth. For the last two uh, weeks' guests, he has uh, done all the legwork of that, and um, literally I did nothing but uh, call the guy up and read the notes. So thank you, Seth, for for bird dogging that, and we your your efforts have not gone unnoticed. Well, yeah. thanks. I, I I've reached out to a lot of people, and you know what do you know? Some of them actually responded. So we're we're growing. Clearly, not people who've heard the show. Anybody who's heard the show <laughs> says, "Oh hell no." Um, but <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I can't get anybody on is because everybody's heard the show. Yeah. 
Uh, so and then once we promise them they don't have to stay for the whole show, they feel better. Right. All right, and rounding out our Linux news this week in history, Chrome was born. Yes, 2008, uh, September the 2nd, Google released Chrome, which five years later, it is still in beta, and it is currently up to version, I don't know, what is it, Pi Million this week? <laughs> you can't check the version because they automatically add to it. But it's one of those things, you know, as we go in the future, versions are meaningless, and that's kind of what Google is saying. It doesn't really matter. And as you go more web-centric and less uh, desktop and user-centric, it doesn't really matter. You're just you're in the Google Cloud and you're in the Google ecosystem. So what does it matter what version is? It matters what you're using and they'll keep track of it. So that's I am currently using Chrome 29.0.1547.62 uh, build um 2219432. So clearly, 29. I mean that's clear as mud. Exploited you're exploited, Mark. Right now, exploited. I have your version number. Ha ha. Yes, you do. <laughs> well, no, because by the time this show airs, it'll be v- Chrome 48 point something. So he's <laughs> safe. Yeah. Oh, wait. I just refreshed my browser and it went up. Uh, no, I'm kidding. By the way, if you want to know that, Chrome colon slash slash version will tell you that right there in the browser. Yeah. Or those three lines and go down to about Google Chrome. And you'll get there that way, too. Well, yeah. I mean, if you if you want to do it that the GUI way, yeah. <laughs> well, coming from the GUI kid, come on, type something. What are you talking about? You get more information my way, though. Yeah, but my way's faster. No, it depends on how fast. <laughs> okay, you type. okay, boys. We don't need a, a wagging match here. <laughs> oh. All right, guys. Uh, I'm gonna move on now and say if you would like to contact us, like. Um, the uh, fellows who did earlier, uh, you can do like Tony and Johnny and Rick did and go to uh, uh, the contact us page at the top of uh, contact us button at the top of the page at elementop.com. Uh, fill out the little form that sends me an email or you can email directly to all three of us uh, to edl at elementop.com. Or if you like to be like door who apparently I should just rename this the door to door geek voicemail hotline. Cause he's the only one that ever uses it. You can call five, five, nine, I am OP or go to the top of the, uh, the uh, page and use the leave us of uh, voicemail widget at the top of uh, elementop.com and Google voice will call you or if you don't want to do any of those you hate google you don't want to do anything with google voice just send me an mp3 or an aug vorbis or a, a, a mkv whatever and uh and if it's small enough to get through my email uh i will put it on the show we love uh, uh we love it when you guys um let us know what's going on when you make suggestions when you ask questions uh it's awesome it's nice knowing you're out there so you can do all of that. Also check out the forums, including the uh, Bad Movie Forum. It is being added to daily. Well, not daily, but uh, weekly at least. Uh, so uh, we we appreciate that. We appreciate those of you who have taken the bullet uh, of watching these bad movies just to tell us if they're bad enough. Um, my my wife was going to the store the other day, um, and as she walked out the door, I said, bring, bring me back something awesome. She brought me back a $3 DVD of Jean-Claude Van Damme in Lionheart. Um, <laughs> awesome! It was in fact <laughs> awesome. Oh. 
<laughs> and so I watched it the other day, and it's even worse than I remembered. I mean, I remembered it as being bad. It's even worse. This one scene, for example, they're in a tomato uh packaging plant they're putting tomatoes in in packages uh, and it's probably a 90 second scene and in the background there's this foreman yelling things in spanish and i never noticed before but he says like three things and then they loop it and he says the same three things again and then they loop it and he says the same three all the way through the scene they were just looping that one thing and there was another in one of the fight scenes the the sidekick i don't even remember his name the the manager promoter whatever uh there's a scene where he clearly says something that is not what he says but the the audio they play is a clip of what he said earlier so it's like oh we missed the audio and that one just replay something he said earlier it'll be fine uh it's just it's really awesome the badness of that show so i've already recommended anything by jean-claude van damme it's officially anything he's in is a good bad movie but lionheart uh you can pick it up for three bucks probably uh or less i think i initially saw it at the dollar movie theater so i paid more for the dvd than i paid to see it in the theater Um, that's awesome so that's my bad movie this week uh, guys, thanks for being with us. Listeners, thanks for listening in. The chat room was light this week. Uh, not uh, unsurprising, considering it is a holiday here in the U.S. Uh, whatever you're doing uh, this holiday weekend, if it's not a holiday for you even, uh, we hope you're safe. We hope to see you back here next week. Uh, just Mark, little- you're leaving out the links. Oh, I did it again. I left them out last Man. week, too. See, this what happens when we go out of order. I don't see these things. And Okay. Links of the week. Chris. Chris has one, too. Wow. He's even got a command line this week. He, yeah, he's been this, punking out lately. Well, I he, actually he needed something like this Seth, the other day. So, so. This ahead. one I actually needed. This is, um, if, if you're ever doing anything scripting or you need to send yourself a log file, most of the time you have to use your local mail host thingy. Um, and I don't know how to, to adequately describe your local email system, but... Uh, I think local actually, mail host thingy is actually the the tip the it, technical it, term. It's close enough. It's yeah. close enough. I pass. LMT for short. Just say you got to <laughs> yeah, do the <okay>. LMT. <laughs> anyway, what this does is that the um, it's it's too in depth to go into. Really, um, you'll have to go through the the look the link and read the steps. But it's using your Google account, so you can actually run this thing, set it up, so it, it'll email you through Google to any email ad- you know any email address you specify so if you're using a script or a log of some sort and when something happens you need a notification immediately this is a good way of doing it um, it's pretty pretty eloquent it's straightforward uh, and I was really impressed at how easy it was to set up as long as you follow the steps I love how you call 27 steps straightforward that's something only the, straightforward. the command line godfather would say well, that's pretty light compared to some of the other things I could be asking, like how to make SSH secure enough for you not to need a password in it. That takes a few more steps. Step one, compute pi to 700 digits. Step two, <laughs> divide that by pi. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, we, we just Thanks, clearly have, we clearly have differing definitions of what straightforward means. And now that Seth is back from crash number five, Seth, what is your link this week? 
Okay, this is a website I just found uh, called Listverse, and there's several. It's a bunch of different lists, and number and the one I picked out because I think this is great is ten lives saved by booze. So you click on here, and there's a list of ten people whose lives were saved by drinking. So you know, if if you're of age, you know, now that you shouldn't be underage drinking. We don't condone that. But if somebody says, you know, do you think drinking will ever save your life? You can say yes. As a matter of fact, beer saved the British Prime Minister from being kidnapped, and you can point to this website has a link, uh, has proof. So. It's kind of cool. They're kind of like there's this one thing where this 13 year old was kind of suckered into taking shots of tequila, and it was he took so much that he kind of um, passed out in class, and so he was rushed to the hospital with alcohol poisoning. And during a routine CAT scan, doctors found a small brain tumor that they wouldn't have found if he hadn't been passed out from drinking too much tequila. So drinking saved his life. Uh, there you go. And there's we- other stories like that. We did a story on the periodic table about a man who had combined two medications uh, that caused combined in his body to create a poison, and the cure for it was top shelf vodka. Um, Sweet. The, the doctors would buy. I forget what it was, but they went down to the local hardware store and bought this like hundred dollar bottle of vodka and put it in his IV bag, and that's what saved his life. Huh. <laughs> Number one's yeah, kind of entertaining. Dude, yes. Number one makes me laugh. Vodka used to cure antifreeze poisoning. Okay, I'm going to read number four. Number four is beer saves man from avalanche. Uh, This is the only paragraph. While driving along a road in the Tartar Mountains of Slovakia, Richard Carl's car was buried by an avalanche. His initial escape attempt involved smashing the windows of the car and digging to the surface. However, he soon realized that the snow would fill the car before he could even move an inch. Carl then tried another plan. He'd been driving with several dozen cans of beer, so he drank them and urinated onto the snow outside his window. After several days, he melted enough to dig without being entombed. He was eventually discovered by rescuers four days later with sore kidneys and possibly the world's worst hangover. (laughs) (laughs) So drinking saved his life. Um, There you go. That's good journalism right there. Wow. Sore kidneys. Oh, my, the, I work, yeah. my, my, my kidneys got a good workout. Uh, okay, so I already At did least. all the contact us stuff. So I, I think that's a good note uh, to end on where, where beer, you can, you can urinate your way out of an avalanche. Just make sure you have plenty of beer. I want to know why he was traveling with 12 cases of beer uh, or whatever it was you said. That's a lot of beer. That's more than a weekend party right there. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, if he's up he there was... in, the, in the boonies, maybe he was stocking up for a month. <laughs> yeah, if you get you know? paid once a month, you're making your trip to town. I, I don't know, you know. Or he's okay. going to do a lot of cooking, beer biscuits. Anyone? There you go, beer beans. There you he go. He was entering a contest for the best beans. He had to make a 500 gallon vat. And, uh, that's it. Uh, there was a guy I used to work with who liked to make rum cake uh, around Christmas time, and that was his standard gift. He would give you a rum cake, and so like a week before Christmas, he would go to every liquor store within three counties and buy all of their rum to make the rum cakes. Um, and it was it was just it was funny because this guy doesn't drink ordinarily, and the only thing he would ever buy was the rums. But he'd be coming back into town with a trunk full of like a hundred bottles of rum. <laughs> and um, you could always tell the ones he made later on 
were a little heavier in rum than the ones he made at first because I, I think maybe he was imbibing I, as I he went. Why. And so you'd take a bite, and if you breathed fire, you're like, oh, this was one of the last ones he made in the batch. <laughs> I have this I have this image of like a Prohibition car rattling down the street with a trunk full of booze. Yeah. Oh, and he was the county justice of the peace. That makes it even better. Oh, that, that's even better. Yeah. yeah. Well, I now have awesome. a great thought in my head. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, this has been fun. And uh, just a programming note. Uh, Two weeks from now, we're going to be replaying a favorite show. I got to tell you what it is. It's a big tease. But since I said I'm going to be in Disney, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna record a special intro. So uh, we'll of course be able to get the ad in there. Let's face it, that's the only reason we're doing it. Uh, and then we're gonna replay a favorite show from the past. So look forward to that. Um, and if you get to something, and you're like, oh, I've heard this one before. You'll know why. So uh, look forward, but next week, it'll be a brand new show about something sure to be at least mildly interesting. Maybe. Um, and maybe related to If you're lucky. It could be related to It's possible. <laughs> only if they're lucky. Only if they're lucky, guys. Be honest. It's only if they're lucky. All right, guys. As always, it's been a pleasure. Chris, Seth, thanks for being with you. Listeners, listeners, thank you for being with us. And for now, that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.